This is The Guardian. Hello and welcome to The Guardian Football Weekly. What a game at the Emirates. Eddie and Ketia's last-minute thigh-high prod wins it for Arsenal and keeps them five points clear at the top of the Premier League. Brilliant goals from Rashford and Saka. A game that felt like 20 years ago, except sadly none of us are 20 years younger. There's a Haaland hat-trick to keep the pressure on. Meanwhile, at the bottom, a very sad trip to the East End for Everton. A limp defeat to West Ham leaves them joint bottom. Elsewhere, drones in Southampton. More Mitoma fun. Mudrick looks good. And Palace hold Newcastle. Also today, frozen WSL pitches. No mention of Shrewsbury and big Barry transfer rumours. All that plus your questions and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, Robin Cowan, welcome. Good morning, Max. Uh, Charlie says, are Barney and Wilson still living together? That's a great question. Jonathan Wilson, hello. Morning. Well, we're absolutely not, just to be clear. Hello, I have to say, yeah, Barney was a tremendous host, mate. I can't fault them at all. And we, we enjoyed it so much, we even met for a pint on Christmas Day. Oh, that's lovely. Barney, would you echo those thoughts? Um, I mean, in terms of the question, I still feel that mentally some part of me is still living in that flat. There's definitely a bit of me that I, I left there. So um, it's a bit like the Vietnam War, you know, uh, a month later, I'm still fighting it. <laughs> I was hoping it was more like Burton Ernie, more yeah. you two. Or Morecambe and Wise. Yeah. yeah, that's what we wanted. No, no, we, we were very, we were brutally efficient flatmates. We were, can you imagine like the levels of kind of, uh, let's get this done. Let's do this now. We, I thought we were extremely good. I could see a kind of future for us as kind of, you know, um, uh, uh, Burton any like figures, definitely. Um, let's start the Emirates. Arsenal three, Manchester United two. Simon says, who's taking the Barry questions? I, that was a good game at the Emirates, wasn't it, Barry? Robin, do you want to step up to the plate with that? Uh, that tough one to begin with. <laughs> sure, yeah, it, it was fantastic. Um, really great. Um, and yeah. This is actually more insight than we normally get from, <laughs> from Barry. From Barry. So, no, <laughs> he usually just says, oh, fuck off or something. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was it's just really enjoyable game. And um, I mean, my main takeaway is that Arsenal are just so much fun and they believe in what they're doing and... Uh, and I was just thinking back to, you know, the collapse last season at Spurs and when they, you know, they completely blew their chance of top four and just the transformation since then is just, it's unbelievable. So Mikel Arteta and also everyone who was, who sort of um, is part of that rebuild and backing him in what he wants to do, it deserves a, a lot of credit because it, it's just remarkable what, what they're doing this season. And is it remarkable, Barney, how sort of, how quickly Arteta has changed it, or is it the sort of the right amount of time for him to have changed Arsenal into 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 his vision? Yeah, it's not been that quick. Um, I think it is the right amount of time. I mean, he um, he's so. I mean, there's something about that obsession and um, the sense of someone who completely lives every second of it. I often feel with football that sometimes just having a plan is a good plan. If it's a plan and everyone believes in it, then it's a plan that will work. And you can see that because plans move on and change so often. But he really does um, improve players. Like we've seen that. Um, what he's done with Martin Odegaard is fantastic. Um, you know, someone who's obviously really talented and he's found exactly the right way to make him work. I mean, he adores him, doesn't he? They're kind of very similar figures. And there's something about the obsession there um, that's really compelling. Um, in the, the the middle of this kind of spectacle. People get annoyed by Arteta's kind of touchline antics, but I actually find it incredibly um, engaging. I mean, I, I've been off for two weeks 
and I've really enjoyed watching football. For the first time in for the, how long? <laughs> perhaps, perhaps for the first time. But as a, specta- as a spectator, I've really appreciated what an am- amazing product it is, how vivid it is, and how somehow, despite all the stuff you do to it, the Premier League's a ridiculous theatre. It still feels incredibly real and visceral. Maybe that's an illusion. Um, it's kind of the spectacle, isn't it? You kind of worry about the spectacle, the society of the spectacle. We're kind of watching this thing and it just distracts us and keeps us kind of, um, you know, consuming. And, and that's been a thing we've sort of spoken about with football for, for decades. But I now find, <laughs> I sort of find it very refreshing. There's at least there's something real there. It does feel real. His feelings about it are real. The things he's doing are, are successful and satisfying and enjoyable to watch. And I, I found watching the Premier League uh, sort of quite uh, uh, the spectacle as a distraction, really quite refreshing. And that that was just a brilliant game of football, really high end with nothing uh, fake or phony about it. And um, I really liked Eric Ten Hag afterwards. I liked the way he spoke about the game and said, we will learn from this. I like the way he doesn't blame anyone. He doesn't go on about the referee. He's entirely serious about his job. And I kind of really like that about him. And sort of win or lose, he feels like someone who will fulfil that role with the dignity it deserves. And I just thought it was a really good game. Did Arsenal deserve it, Wilson? I think they did. I looked at XG and I matched the day had two numbers for Arsenal, 2.93. And then a few minutes later, their XG had gone up to 3.16 at sort of 10.30 in the evening, which I thought was quite impressive. And, and Man United was only 0.33. It felt much closer than that. Yeah, it did. But I mean, Arsenal had a lot of chances that last 20 minutes or so. I don't know. I, I, I sort of, I, I wrote about Eddie Nketiah sort of suggesting that he might be one of these figures who who suddenly gets a couple of crucial goals in, in a title race that, that shift the momentum. And so you think of somebody like um, Federica Makeda or, or from an Arsenal point of view, Christopher Ray or, or, or Martin Hayes or going further back, you think of... David Needham coming in at Nottingham Forest and scoring four goals in, in 77-8 as, as a centre-back. And then I sort of thought, hey, maybe I'm being unfair on him because you know his his goal scoring has never really been questioned. You know, he, I, th- I think he's the record goal scorer for England's under-21 side, for instance. And, and, and yet he is sort of a bit part player. Yesterday was the first day when his number of Premier League starts for Arsenal exceeded his age to 24 to 23. But then you think how, how fragile these things are. So with six minutes to go, when, when he had that chance and De Gea saved it, I was thinking then, oh no, you know, he had that chance against Newcastle when, when Nick Pope made a very good save. Again, I don't know, in the final 10 minutes, I can't remember exactly when it was, but late on. And then that, what if, come the end of the season, Arsenal miss out on the title by three points or fewer, and there's four points they've left on the table because Nketiah's had effort saved. And you think, oh yeah, maybe he's just not quite precise enough with his finishing. But of course, that's absurd because he, you know, he does score goals. He scored loads of goals. He's Arsenal's top goal scorer in all competitions this season. And then the fact he does get that winner suddenly the narrative shifted completely from Enkete not being quite a good enough backup to Jesus to Enkete possibly being the slightly improbable uh, bloke who won the title for them. There were two absolutely stunning goals in this game, Robin. Right there, Rashford and Saka. It's very hard. There's no need to decide which which you prefer from those. But you know, just two players sort of. You watch them both and the confidence that they both have, which is quite a hard thing to quantify or hard thing to like, how do you give that? I mean, both Arteta and Ten Hag deserve so much credit for giving those players that confidence to to, to take on those opportunities. Yeah, I feel, feel like, especially for Rashford, because clearly he lost it for quite some time and now he's got it back. And just, I think in terms of, 
I think I preferred Saka's finish just because it was almost like behind him and he's managed to get that power and the accuracy. But the sort of touch from Rashford around Partey was just, it's instinctive. And I think that's what happens when you've got that confidence that you just kind of, you don't even think about it. And then the way he just struck it low into the corner. I mean, it's just great to see both of them um, really enjoying their football. I know Saka obviously had that setback you know, missing the penalty for England, but you know, who hasn't? <laughs> so uh, he's, uh, I, I mean, he probably will go through a dip in form like Rashford did, you know, because it's just, that's just life. But it's just great to to watch and appreciate them both. And they both make massive contributions to their teams. Yeah, Bunny, I, I thought Saka had uh, no right to score from there. It's what I thought. I mean, it was sort of a ridiculous finish. Yeah, it was amazing, wasn't it? He kind of just got that tiny little step, half a step and no backlift. Sure. He's just sort of adorable, isn't he? Um, you have to like Saka. He's such a smart, nice kind of guy. And it's it's great that people can exist in football as someone like he has since the age of six and still emerge as these. I feel the same about Eddie and Kessie as well. They're really likeable. But, you know, they have the Arsenal thing that they've created is impossible not to feel it's it's a good thing because they have these home grown players. Eddie Nketiah is sort of a local hero for me. He played for he used to play for Hilly Fielders, who my sons played for as well, who are basically a park team. And he I think grew up on the Honor Oak Estate, which is where um or very close to there, which is where Ian Wright and David Rowcastle uh, came from. In fact there's a Rowcastle Road there now. And so there's something even though it's South East London there's something deeply Arsenal about him. There's a, the deep soul of modern Arsenal seems to kind of express itself through Nketiah. And that is one of the reasons why fans and managers and everyone sort of connects, has kind of wanted him to succeed and why that bond has kind of stayed there. And he's clearly a very hardworking, kind of nice kid. And seeing the two of them together on television after the game, you kind of thought, how have they managed to retain this innocence and this kind of, you know, this just such sort of agreeable, nice people. The great thing about Saka is his relentlessness. So I really like, he's a very modern player. Like he just keeps coming and keeps, imagine what it must be like to defend against him. Because he can dribble, he can shoot. Uh, he's a really good uh, passer in tight areas. And he just keeps going. His stamina is great. And he will just wear you down. He's a perfect Arteta player. Um, him and uh, Odegaard have gone from being really talented players to really outstanding match-winning players this season. And that's two players fitting the system perfectly. And Odegaard Wilson did that. I think Matty's been in touch to call it an, an elastico through ball. What he did with his feet for Xhaka, who didn't quite get onto it, was kind of miraculous. Yeah, well, he's another one of these players who, I mean, I guess it's not quite the same as Rashford, but you, you feared that he'd lost it or that, that maybe in his case he never quite had it, um, that he was overhyped too young. And you sort of thought, I mean, obviously huge different backgrounds, but you thought, could he be some kind of Freddie Adu figure who we all knew about far Far too early, far before we, yeah, before it's fair to have any expectations of somebody. And yet now we're seeing just what an extraordinary player he is. That, and it's not just he's he's supremely technically gifted. He's obviously got just an incredible football brain that, that he sees spaces. And yeah, the thing I most admire Messi for is his capacity always to choose. Yeah, Messi can do anything with the football essentially, but he's got this capacity to choose the lowest tariff necessary thing in any given circumstance, which makes it more likely to come off. And I sort of think something similar about Odegaard. He makes the game at, at times look very, very simple. It looks like he doesn't really do anything complicated. And yet he does have that ability to do extremely difficult things as well. So look, Arsenal five points clear. They've got a game in hand. Of course, those two games 
uh, between Arsenal and City. They also play each other on Friday night in the FA Cup. Um, uh, let's go to the London Stadium uh, for the rest of part one. West Ham 2, Everton 0. Uh, Jim says, are you going to record the pod as if Frank Lampard has already been sacked in order to save time in doing an insert once he gets sent packing after the mics are switched off? I, I thought Wilson, with his kind of stubble and beanie, he looks... So it looks a bit like Phil Mitchell after I don't know where, what stage of Phil Mitchell we're in at the moment I've sort of lost you know maybe he's living really well and running the pub or the garage but maybe he's been chucked up by Sharon and is sleeping in his car and Lampard who's normally so clean cut sort of looks sort of gave the air of Phil Mitchell to me I mean this is clearly a much less dramatic statement but the person he started to look like is his dad that is true it was one of the things that I kind of yeah I, I, I for a long time I couldn't really see that Frank Lampard Sr. and Frank Lampard Jr. They didn't they didn't seem a natural match. You, you can't see a kind of family likeness. But now you absolutely can. In the same way that you know, uh, Jamie and Harry Redknapp, there doesn't seem to be any sort of familial likeness. But in 30 years, what would Jamie Redknapp, <laughs> you know, who knows? But, but Frank Lampard, with the, I guess with the pressure, of, yeah, partly age, but also the pressure of management, is, is starting to look increasingly like his dad. I mean, well, I don't know. Will they get rid of him? I just don't think of all the issues at Everton. I just don't think he's the biggest at the moment. I think he is an issue. I don't think. I think there's a lot, of, lot to to doubt about his management. You know, the 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 two goals on Saturday came from the classic Lampard sources of a, a set play and a counter attack. The two things that he's never been able to 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 defend in his managerial career. But I just think there's so much else wrong at Everton that yeah, getting rid of Lampard. It's almost sort of doing something for the sake of doing something. I mean, isn't having a, a terrible board the best thing that's ever happened to Frank Lampard? It's become this binary thing. Is Lampard the problem or is the board the problem? Well, you know, maybe they're both not very good. And um, the board appointed Lampard. It's like the kind of nature and nurture idea. Nurture is nature. There's there's no difference. Nature affects nurture. It makes, there is no other thing. Well, I, 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 guess, I guess my point is, who would come in who would be obviously good? Oh, loads of people. Uh, a, a young, a 30-year-old German in a, a checkered sporting sports coat um, wearing maroon trousers who has a small beard. And you've never heard of him, but, well, you probably have heard of him, but he's really organised. He knows loads of good players. And, you know, a guy like that, well, anyone will come in and do a good job. Uh, I don't, you know, Gary Rowett would come in and do a better job. He just has, I mean, Wilson, you're probably on the Lampard payroll you know someone who's so much in football he has so many friends <laughs> i saw on match of the day because i now watch experience all football through match of the day he's got no goal scorers it's not his fault someone or other was saying he's got no goal scorers well i mean why has he got no goal scorers? they they spent a lot of money last summer they bought neil mope dwight mcneil and they brought Deli ali in under under lampard well, are they goal scorers you know who he got two central defenders and two uh, defensive midfielders in uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin stopped scoring under Lampard. Whose fault is it they have no goal scorers? I mean, it, why does he always get a pass? It's always someone else's fault. Um, I don't think... I, you know, things change very quickly in um, in football with a few good results. And I, I, While I really like the um, Everton banners that say things like... Um, you, you've no philosophy, no vision. You know they're kind of, it's sort of like they're, they're annoyed that the club doesn't have a set of slogans and a kind of marketing plan. I, I kind of agree with them uh, in that Lampard is just part of of that that theme, and you know he's an expression of a really clueless board, and they're they're both part of the same problem. He's obviously not a very good manager, although he is good at speaking, and he looks good on camera, and he he danced around with. Uh, great happiness after they avoided 
the relegation he almost inflicted on them. And that's endeared him to the fans. He seems human and approachable and as though he does have a slogan and a philosophy and he's something to cling to. But I, I can't see. It's amazing. They've lost to all the teams around them. And, and yet uh, he's still in the job for now. I think I agree with Barney. They're like, mainly it's just they're in such a terrible run. Usually I'm not sort of someone who says, well, that that's going to solve everything, obviously. Um, and it won't for Everton. But he, ca- he can't stay on. It, he just can't, and I'm 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 going to put forward a, a gravelly voiced, flame haired, goatee. Sean Dice. If you don't, yeah. Jonathan, if they they don't want to concede from counter attacks and set pieces, I'm saying. Yeah, that that's true, and and maybe maybe Everton fans have now reached the point that they accept a Dice in a way they didn't accept an Allardyce. Mm. Allardyce. <laughs> uh, and, and, and yeah, the, but and, and Barney's right. That pretty much the only type of manager they haven't tried is the maroon trousered thirty-year-old German. But that, that, that's my sort of fear for them that they've pretty much gone through every sort of manager. That they've had Kuman, they've had Allardyce, they've had Ancelotti, they've had Marco Silva. Marco Silva. They, they, you know, they've so Marco Silva. I know he's not German, but he kind of he is of that sort of yeah. He's of the in the German style. He's of that young Euro... They haven't tried um, sort of um, mature, well-respected Spanish. You know, Lopetegui, kind of Emery. I mean, Ancelotti's borderline on that, though, isn't he? No, he's kind of, um, you know, overlord, friend to the stars. He was too high. They went too high there. They went with kind of Galactico's friend. Right, okay. You need hardworking, angry, mid-range Spanish. Benitez? Mm, to yeah, an attempt at that, but I think he'd gone by then. Yes, I was just thinking there. Surely, you know, I, Benitez was definitely there. I just, it just took me a second. It just took me a second. To <laughs> I, I, I wondered about, um, you know, they signed Tarkovsky and Cody, and and sort of universally, everyone said that that is brilliant. They are two brilliant signings. They're you know good solid centre backs. They're great people. They're excellent in the dressing room. But I just wonder if actually they have been good. I mean, they like are they. Are they good? It feels criminal. It seems like you can't say that they're not good signings because I haven't heard anyone say... Or good or good people. You're saying they're not very nice. They're bad in the dressing room. Oh, oh they're definitely good in the dressing room. There's no way they can't be good in the dressing yeah. room. They're poison. <laughs> Snakes. Cody's poison in the dressing room. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, it feels unlikely. The thing with both of them is they're very good sort of physical defenders who you can trust to chuck their bodies in the, in the way of things. And I think that did give them a short-term boost. I just think modern defending is about more than that. I mean, obviously having people who chuck themselves in the way of shots is, is never a bad thing. But ideally, you'd be stopping that before the opposition has a chance to have a shot. You'd be, your structure and your organisation would be good enough that you, you'd, you'd halt that higher up the pitch. I'm not saying Cody and Tarkovsky can't play in that kind of system. But at the minute, they're sort of defending. Every game, I sort of feel Everton play like they're a, a third flight club playing a Premier League club in the FA Cup. And then, you know, they might get something because they try really hard uh, and they might bundle a goal in and they might chuck the body in the way of enough shots and that might get them enough results. And that kind of got them out of relegation last season. But it's not really a long-term solution. And once confidence starts to go and, and, and you start circling around the plug hole, I, I think that becomes less and less effective. A lot was made, Robin, of um, not all the Everton players going to applaud the fans after the game. And I did think... Clearly, it's sort of you know it's it's absolute it's it's like what you have to do. It's like lesson one on after a defeat, you have to go. But but I was thinking if it was me and I had the choice of 
going towards sort of thousands of people who <laughs> really didn't people. like me were yelling at me <laughs> to sort of clap at them or not i would probably i probably wouldn't and barry and i on the radio were discussing kind of what could you bend your run like a sort of <laughs> like trying to stay on side like how close do you have to get do you, if you sort of went if you as long as you went past the dugout and you look like you're going there but you don't actually you could be 40 50 yards away and still they could still in the pub say well at least he went up at least max went up and did applaud I think so. us. I think, yeah, so, you know, credit yeah, him. Uh, maybe a Sunday league ref style, just stay in the centre circle. As long as you're seen to applaud. Do you have to get that close? Although I suppose fans have a sort of, uh, there might be a sort of sliding scale of respect of how close you it's get. True. But then, yeah. yeah, then you get Yeri Mina, you know, out in the car park having a conversation and that's proper. That is like top level. So, Oh, that's amazing yeah, respect for exactly. him for doing and the main that. thing, I, the, I thought that you were going to say the, that a lot was made of Jared Bowen having twins, which made yes. me, I know probably yourself as well, Max, as a sort of new parent, made me absolutely shudder with <laughs> oh my, my Can word. Can you imagine? Yeah. One is so many. Yeah. <laughs> it's lucky he didn't score four, isn't it? It's lucky yeah. he didn't, you know, because it was dependent on the number of goals he scored, the number of children he had. Barney, we should mention West Ham. That was a pivotal result yeah, for them, it, wasn't it? It, it? it was. I mean, I was kind of felt they'd probably be okay. They played three at the back which was a change and David Moyes being uh, flexible and uh, out tacticking, well, as, uh, as the result seems to suggest, um, Frank Lampard. Um, you know, they, they, they'll kind of be fine. He kind of went back to, uh, I mean, it's good to see Michael Antonio and Jared Bowen, who, you know, their best attacking players uh, driving that win. And David Moyes doing his smile afterwards, you know, when he does that slightly uncomfortable smile in front of the camera. He's obviously had some media training where they said, David, the problem is you're a bit you're a bit dour. People say dour, Dave. So smile, and he does the thing of um, TV producer. You know when you go on those nodding head programs where they get you to talk about like bands in the '90s or football stuff that happened. Gaza's tears. Um, the producer often sits on the other side of the camera. You you must have seen you know TV and smiles at you with a really weird <laughs> oh, yeah, fake smile. TV. Yeah. So that you smile, they do this weird kind of look of like baring their teeth at you. <laughs> and, and that seems to be the David Moyes. But, you know, uh, I, I'm kind of pleased with The one thing that David Moyes always surprises me, he's really brutal on his players. He said, um, yeah, the problems we've had this season, you know, over the summer, we tried to just bring in some better players and that's caused a few problems. <laughs> <laughs> okay, if you're one of his players watching that, managers can be very, they, I think they sometimes forget that people can hear them and that those bad players can hear him. <laughs> Have you ever had to do? Um, have you ever had to do noddies yourself, Barney? When I sort of, occasionally I did local BBC news, and you know we'd only have one camera, so I'd interview you know the local councillor, and then I'd have to do two minutes of just just nodding along so they could get some edit points in. It's really sort of surreal. How you know? That's when you sort of think, what is this? Is totally TV is totally ridiculous. Just nodding for no apparent reason. Well, especially because everybody knows now how it works. So when you see someone nodding, you think, ah, oh, yeah, they filmed that forty minutes later in a motorway cafe. <laughs> exactly, yeah, it would be better if they weren't even in the same room. It was extraordinary. I can't remember where where I saw this, but they were talking about sound effects on early sport. So, for instance, when you watch horse racing on telly, that's not the horses you hear. It's, is that some coconuts? No, yeah, yeah. it's 50 <laughs> men with coconuts going, no, it's, it's stampeding bison. In early cricket commentary, the, the noise of the, the ball on the bat was somebody with a pencil on the desk. And yeah, they had to get people who were really good at timing it. And there was, I can't remember what the, what the noise of a dart going into a board is. It, it's, hang on, let me, let me Google this. 
<laughs> it's a very nice noise. It's very satisfying. Yeah, but it's not. It's it no, a lovely but noise. But it's not the noise of a dart going into a board. I was thinking with the cricket, you know, would there be like an IPL of pencil tappers? You know, so like obviously as the game builds, so does the pencil tapping. You could make millions if you were, you know, if you said, I'm Rohit Sharma. So like I, that, I'm the pencil hitting that for that batsman. I, You know, I can do Joss Butler really well. Have you found it, Wilson? Yeah, well, I found a thing that says it's, um, it's a dustbin falling over or a sample of a bass drum. But then I've also found somebody saying, it's a Dave Allen, head of media for the PDC, says that in the modern age, there were four holes in the dartboard that have microphones in to pick up the sound behind the, the 20, the 19, the 6, and the 11. So if people listen carefully, they can hear the difference between a, tr- a treble 20 and a double 18. Uh, but yeah, in the old days, it was either a drum sample or a bin falling <laughs> over. Like keep dropping a bin. Anyway, listen, we've got quite a lot of football to discuss, <laughs> so we should, we should probably end this part now. Back in a second. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Man City 3, Wolves 0. Uh, Wilson, you write a piece about Haaland um, and Man City's system before the game. Just because a striker is prolific, just because he's obviously a great player, does not mean he's making the team better. He went on to score a hat-trick, 16th of his career. He's got more goals than the golden boot winner of the last four seasons. Was he proving your point? I mean, there's no point to be proved. You know, my point was merely that, that you can't think, because you've got a striker scoring you know, at the preposterous rate he is, that the team is necessarily better. So at the halfway point in the season, um, City had scored 50 goals and conceded 20. Uh, last season, in total, they scored 99 and conceded 26. So goals for hasn't really changed. And goals against is a lot, lot worse. And that that is exactly what you'd expect to happen because you have to play more direct to Holland. And so you, you can't play the pass to let you get set up to counter, for counter-attack. And, and also... I think the 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 game at Old Trafford this season, so the game a week on Saturday, compare that to the equivalent game last season, which City won two nil. Yeah, very very comfortably could have been four or five nil. Holland, depending which stats you look at, had either nineteen or twenty touches, and the the lowest number of touches by a City a City outfield player uh, last season in that game was seventy one. So if you're trying to control the game through possession, and one of your players is having yeah you know, essentially a quarter of the touches of the lowest touching ball player last season, that clearly makes a big difference how you play. Now, that tension may be productive. Tension often, creative tensions often are. It may be that Holland's goal scoring is what carries them over the line in those European games they've been losing. But equally, it has meant that defensively, they're, they're not as secure as they were and they're even more vulnerable to, to balls played in behind the defensive line, um, which was always the... Yeah, you know, if you're picking a floor in a, in a Guardiola side, that was always the floor, and I think it's made the floor wider. So, I, I think it's a it's a really interesting gamble. Was was the point of the piece rather than necessarily saying it's a bad idea or it's a good idea? It's just these are the issues that bringing in something like that creates. I can only work on that binary level, good or bad. Well, I can't see nuance, of course. If you look at big goal scorers, 
mean, Ronaldo, I was, I was really surprised by this. Ronaldo, Brazilian Ronaldo, his goals per game record before the knee injuries is, is pretty much a goal a game in the 90s when nobody scored at a goal a game. Yet he didn't win the league until 2002. Yeah, he'd been playing eight years before he won, before he won a league title. You look at Eduard Streltsov, who I think, certainly in terms of his, his physical domination, has a lot of similarities to Holland. That you know, he feels like almost like a different species. He's just bigger and faster than everybody else, and technically also at an extremely high level. And the, the, the two sort of big coaches he had, Viktor Maslov and Nikolai Morosov, both of them clearly had massive doubts about how useful Streltsov was. Like, you just narrow it down. Where are we? Hungary in the 40s? I don't know. I'm... Yeah, it, it, there, are, there are obviously two key points of reference here, Brazilian Ronaldo and Edward Streltsov. I mean, could you could you give us a hint as to anywhere we could find out a bit more about? Is there anywhere, any resource we could find out more about Edward Streltsov? Well, it's, it's funny you should mention that, but I mean, I, I wrote a novella about Streltsov, which I think tries to explore the emotional truth of him, or you could look at Behind the Curtain, which is more of a, yeah, there's a section there that goes into the history of it. So yeah, they would be the two places I'd, I'd refer you to. Can I have some opinions about this as well? Please do. Briefly, yeah. Sorry. Um, I, see, I agree with Jonathan. I, I wrote, I mean, it's obviously really interesting. You know, it's just basically very, City fans get very touchy about this, but it's really interesting. You have a team and a manager, a manager who's made a massive virtue of not having that kind of player, who's essentially pioneered this uh, idea of always having overloads and the extra man who isn't a goal scorer being your key the key to your team has now sound, signed the most strikerish striker since strikers became since yeah, Edward Strelsov. Yeah, it's obviously very interesting of how that's going to work. And if you are not interested in it, you wouldn't like football. So, and obviously there's going to be um, a period of adjustment. But what's interesting, while I agree that that you have to understand that they're essentially trying to learn this new system on the hoof. So to have got close to the perfectly grew, he's been there five years last season, um, and they, you know, they they played with three players who were false nines throughout the season. It was really quite a fascinating way of winning the league. To have to to be functioning at all while it's going through these teething stages is pretty impressive. But then again, talent plus talent plus some of the best players in the world is is hardly a plucky underdog story. But they 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 will go through the gears on it, and who, this isn't the finished product. And also, we do criticise managers for not changing. Uh, it's the thing people say about Klopp, isn't it? That he's still essentially playing the same system and the best players at Liverpool or the players who always were the best players at Liverpool. Whereas Guardiola is trying, you know, he's this is his midlife crisis. This is his red master MX5. You know, he's doing something different. And uh, that is interesting. He remains interesting. He remains tactically interesting. I'm not sure how tactically interesting... Jurgen Klopp is right now, uh, whereas Guardiola, I'm still fascinated by what he's going to do with this team, even though, yes, it involves buying someone who is obviously the world's best goal poacher and being able to throw money at the problem. You know, the, the game is so resilient that even that is interesting. So so, so basically, Haaland is a weirdly similar surname. Izzy Hoyland to Guardiola's Carl Kennedy. Yes, that is true. Although Izzy Hoyland was, I mean, because Sarah was probably his midlife crisis. And then Izzy Hoyland was oh, probably possibly. Sort of, that was even after. Sarah was just a fling, though. Izzy Hoyland, he actually a full blown relationship. No, that's true. So. Yeah, no, that is a good point. Oh, well, I'll check with him. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, um, so, so Sarah, Sarah's latter. Yeah. Okay, Sarah's latter. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and, and, and Hoyland is Hoyland, Hoyland as, yeah, as, as yeah. the names would suggest. And who's Susan then? Who's Susan? 
Oh, that De Bruyne. Any, any false nine? Any <laughs> all old the false, false nine. nines. All the all that <laughs> all that chap who sits next to Pep, who I should know who it is, but I, I don't know. He sort of resembles Baron Greenback slightly. Let's uh, rattle through a few more of the games then. Uh, Leicester two, Brighton two. Uh, Barney, how much do you enjoy Matoma? Yeah, he's great, isn't he? He, he what a mover, you know. Um, I like the way he um, when Solly Marsh missed that. I, I think his standing leg slipped, and he kind of ballooned the ball while I was over the bar. I mean, someone just looked really, really sad um, to see a human doing something so messy. And you know, he's so neat and perfect in the way he he moves around. But I kind of, it was, I was really surprised to see, um, I thought Leicester were going to win that game. And it seemed kind of odd. Like losing to Leicester is, it just seems like something you shouldn't do. It's it's a void or it's a weakness. It's like forgetting, it's like oversleeping or something. You think, well, how have I done that? Or letting a you know a pan of milk boil. It's something really annoying that you shouldn't have done. You, you really should be beating them. Um, you know, Brendan, Brendan looks sad. He always looks like he's standing on the hard shoulder in the rain, waiting for his breakdown. He's still hopeful, but it's dark now and he's cold. And you know, I don't. I watched the game. The only the only notes I've actually made is that uh, Deserby looks like a street magician. <laughs> YouTube, like he's going to make a snooker ball disappear. I mean, I love his energy and I love the way he's immediate. It shows that, um, I mean, Graham Potter obviously left a squad of intelligent sort of, you know, young players with room for improvement there. And that's been such a good fit. And it does show the um, the difference between a, a well-run club and a not well-run club. You're thinking of Everton, um, you know, the, the contrast is so stark. And it doesn't seem that difficult. It doesn't seem that difficult to think, well, we need a manager a bit like Graham Potter, who's, you know, who do we, just a bit of research, a bit of Googling. You'd, surely you'd come up with a deserve type figure. Um, but it's it's really nice to see their energy, and I do enjoy watching you mentioned Brendan Rodgers being stuck on the hard shoulder. I mean, he's yet to start looking like Frank Lampard Sr. So there's different levels, aren't there, of, of sort of how much he's struggling. But it was a, a great call uh, to a radio show. Um, I think Paul Hawksby was telling me about it, where um, it, it was sort of like, you know, there were like when there were there were Tottenham fans who would never buy a JBC telly, right? Because it was sponsored Arsenal, you know, and Arsenal fans wouldn't drink Holston pills. And there was an Aston Villa fan who was broken down on the side of the road with his family with a with a smashed windscreens. And they'd been waiting for two hours in the rain. And then someone from Auto Windscreens came up and he went, nope, can't. <laughs> they, they sponsored Birmingham City. I'm not having that. I'm not having that fixed. Um, uh, we should talk about Evan Ferguson, Wilson. I don't know if you how much you know about him apart from he seems to be very Irish so he's not going to be stolen like Grealish and Declan no he is going to be stolen he he is yeah no he he can be yeah he, he's eligible yeah yeah oh, are we going to steal him oh poor, yeah. poor Barry my my understanding is that he he is is committed to Ireland but he, he absolutely is. That is the dream, isn't it? To field, to field an 11 of Irishmen in the in England team. That is the dream. But I mean, he's so Irish. I mean, like that. that's like, it's just, you know, not, I mean, it's like Owen Morgan was incredibly successful. It's a slightly different comparison, but um, yeah, I'd be delighted. He looks like a brilliant centre forward, actually. And that was an absolutely fantastic header, uh, wasn't it? Uh, Bournemouth won, Forest won. Um, uh, Robin, do you have any big thoughts on on this football match? I was pleased for Sam Surridge because he'd missed bucket loads of chances in the last sort of two weeks and he kept at it. Yeah, I just really like Forrest. I think, you know, again, just really impressed with uh, Steve Cooper and um, especially I think Gibbs White and Brendan Johnson have really formed a, a really good partnership. 
We got um yeah, I mean I think they're they fifteenth or something. I mean they, they were towards the at the beginning of the season they were just shocking, shockingly bad. Um and then that Manchester United defeat when they came back from the World Cup and uh but no, I think yeah, Steve Cooper's shown that he's a, he's an excellent coach despite again, I'm sure I'm sure they'll have more more players thrown at him between now and the end of the transfer window. We'll see. Actually, Bournemouth, um, Jay Nancy took their goal brilliantly. The first touch, absolutely brilliant. Um, and the cross was from this this new player, Watara. And uh, when he was signed, his his sort of handshake photo uh, with one of the Bournemouth hierarchy, I, I, forgive me, I'm not sure who it is. He's wearing a shirt that's clearly just been taken out of its pocket. Oh, yeah. It's got the sort of unironed squares. So it begs the question, what was he wearing before that they thought we have to put, what, what could he be wearing that, that meant, we can't have that in the photo. Um, anyway, yeah, they did very well. Um, drone stopped play at St Mary's, Barney, which is possibly the most interesting part of, of this game. Yeah, a drone inside the stadium. And and Jonathan Pierce wasn't even there. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, that was weird, wasn't it? Uh, there seems to be a thing about drones that you, if you see a drone, you have to panic. Do you remember when they shot... <laughs> they shot I think you know one of the London airports because there was a drone hovering nearby. And you think, well, okay, is that? Uh... No, but I, th- I think there actually wasn't a drone. I think it was a false sighting. wasn't Wasn't that the, the, the issue? And then they... it's a false drone. A false drone is what Pep would, Pep would prefer. <laughs> yeah, you're <laughs> right. It, well, there wasn't a drone. There was talk of a drone, and that was enough for like forty eight hours around Christmas. Yeah, but I, I get it because like a drone, like as we've seen in Ukraine, you, you, they can be loaded with explosives. So you've got to be very careful. A drone flying towards a stand full of 10,000 people is is potentially extremely dangerous. Well, that's taking the mood down, but I mean, you are right. <laughs> I, yeah, I, mean, I haven't really thought of that, I suppose. I mean, what? Yeah, it's an unlikely. Yeah. yeah. And, and there was also there was that Serbia Albania game when the drone came down with the, with the flag that led to that on pitch brawl. Nick Ames was there, of course. I remember there was a competition on the radio we were giving away. Dr- we were giving away like TVs and drones. And at that time, drones, <laughs> to my mind, they weren't like, you know, things that people just shoved up in the sky just to look at. They were just weapons. I was like, why are we, why are we, <laughs> what, what, what next? <laughs> giving away scud missiles. Seems like an inappropriate competition. Have you got, Max, do you have a drone? People do. That I, know I don't two have a drone. Who, I, don't I have know two drone. people who've got drones. And both of them are kind of slightly on the kind of, it's interfering with your DNA spectrum. Football Weekly at theguardian.com if you, if you own a drone. And uh, uh, <laughs> but no, I, I don't have one. I wonder, I wonder, Robin, if Ollie Watkins afterwards, he said, I obviously always loved playing with Danny Ings and it's a shame he's gone. He's a great lad. Was thinking, I've seen off yeah. Danny Ings in the Watkins-Ings debate. Yeah, I think he was like, yeah, well, we're well shot of him, actually. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, isn't it? That was a really interesting bit of business because I think Danny Ings actually was their top scorer, but clearly it, uh, Watkins maybe offers just sli- something slightly different and more something that uh, Unai Emery prefers. Um, I thought the Southampton disallowed goal, not the offside one, was very, very soft. And I know it, it probably is right. It just stood on the back of his foot. I just thought, come on. Yeah. I did like Jacob Ramsey afterwards saying, look, it's one of those where... Yeah, he even know, said that, yeah. He sort of said, it's one of those where, you know, you've, you know, there's a question. 
should you go down? Should you not go down? Is there enough contact? I'm like, surely you're not. You're not meant yeah. to have that debate. You're the person. You're the person going down. Like we have that debate. You just so he obviously in that split second thought, well, it's a debatable one, so I'll give it a go. Well, there was that, and there was the uh, was it Welbeck at Leicester. Um, yes, yeah. the, and I think the foul on Welbeck was much clearer yeah. than that. I think foul. the one about Welbeck was because they're running in. If he'd been running after him and tripped him over, it would have been obviously a foul. But because it's sort of running at a different, he's running in different directions. Well, there was one. There's only one angle where I was totally convinced, and it was sort of a player in the way. But you just saw when you paused it, when you when they paused it on television. Well, you did. You just admitted you paused the TV. And at, uh, Wilson pauses the TV and looks at fouls. Does that include the drone Venn diagram as well? People who pause, zoom <laughs> in. And you could just see it beyond the defender's leg. Yeah, the moment's gone now, Wilson. No one cares. Uh, (laughs) That'll do for part two. Part three, we'll round up the rest of the games. I don't think there are any goals in any of them. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly, the nil-nil zone we enter. Uh, Start at Anfield. Liverpool nil, Chelsea nil. Um, Was this a terrible game, Wilson? What was this? Was it an all right game? It wasn't a... It was an okay game. The first half was pretty poor. I thought it picked up second half. And, and, and Mudrick coming on was interesting. So again, I was sort of with, with Nketi. You sort of think, if Arsenal had signed Mudrick, Nketi probably wouldn't have been on the pitch to score the winner. That Mudrick would have come on and probably would have been Nketi who made way and maybe Martinelli moved in the middle. So the, the contingency of these things is, well, is, exists. Mm. <laughs> but Mudrick looked really lively, really quick, really good on the ball. I think there's a lot to be excited about the, the only slight doubt and, and look this is a it's a tiny doubt and he's still what age is he 21 22 uh, so he's still very young and it, oh, yeah his first game in a new country but he's only scored 12 goals in his career and that that, that was that's my doubt about him how, how has he only got that you know i know he's only played 39 games now 38 games something like that that's all right isn't it for an attacking midfielder it's all, it's that... all right but i still think if you play in the ukrainian league might like to have got a few more. And he had two decent chances on Saturday. But he has fa- the first one he's fashioned for himself in a really beautiful way, though, hasn't it? Yeah, but then having got through, I think he slightly panics and, and, and sort of slashes at the shot which, when it needed a dink. I think a, a, a calmer presence in that moment. A Ziyech or a Pulisic or a, you know, or a Hudson-Odoi or a... Or a Sterling, yeah. yeah. I mean, Chelsea got loads of type of player who, who panic when they get a chance. Um, but I, yeah, and, and then there was the uh, it was a long crossfield ball from the right that came to him, and he, he tried to control it. I think probably he needed to take that first time. So that, that's my one tiny quibble about him that that I, he do, he doesn't seem yet to have that clarity that that will bring the goals that you probably would want from him. Do you think he's quicker than James Milner, Barney? <laughs> well, um, everybody thinks they're quicker than everybody thinks they're quicker than James Milner until they get a two foot around the knees, as, as Mike Tyson once said. No, I mean, Milner's actually, for his age, pretty quick. Um, but he does know how to deal with a with a mudrick when he sees one. When I like this game, I like... I, there was sort of thing I was nil-nil televised draws, but I like those kind of games. They feel... Um, they feel like, you know, safe. I know where I am with it. It's like a game that feels like it's heading towards an, a winner. It's nil-nil. So it feels like there's a narrative here. There's going to be a moment of crisis, a hero. And that it just doesn't. It's nil-nil. Football's difficult. I think we need them. They're, they're, they're solid filler 
and I like. I it. like the I like the all new Barney likes all types of football. I mean, this is perhaps you should not. Maybe you just shouldn't do any. Just tell the Guardian you just can't do any more work. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I'm, I have more value as a kind of pontificating, self-satisfied kind of. I should be puffing on a pipe saying e- everything's good. Like, <laughs> it's all nice. Yeah, giant, absolutely good. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that's a definite niche for that. I would listen to that. Barney, if that's you know if that's the direction you choose to take your life in, I will follow. Well, it's definitely easier, yeah. And fewer people hate you. <laughs> Eventually, there would be the backlash, though. I'm so fed up of this yeah. man with the pipe just telling me everything's yeah. great. It isn't great. Yeah, it's true. Have an have <laughs> an opinion. Like, it's not great. Like, yeah. Um, any other thoughts on this game, Robin? Or can I take you to Crystal Palace nil Newcastle nil, in which? Um, Nick Pope made an absolutely amazing save, didn't he, from Mateta late on. Newcastle probably should have won the game. Mm. But. Yeah, well, that, that was pretty much it. <laughs> that was the game, wasn't it? Yes, I'm not, I'm, I, it was a very much a Barry, a Barry question for you there. You just, there's no way you can go with it. I'm sorry. That was an amazing save. I mean, it's just Newcastle's incredible defensive record is sort of kept intact. 11 goals in 20 games they've conceded. And um, yeah, I think it's been pointed out before, Eddie Howe, that was not his strong point when he was Bournemouth manager. So um, yeah, just very impressive. Very impressive from them. A bemused Bagel says, was Newcastle's relative free scoring in mid-season a blip? They started the season unable to score. They've reverted back. Did Almiron's form hide a serious deficiency, Wilson? I mean, up to a point, yeah. But I, I guess you know, it's still early in the, in the project. I think getting the defence right makes sense. I think particularly given Eddie has reputation, the fact that his Bournemouth side conceded 66 goals a season over the five seasons they're in the Premier League. Focusing on that makes sense. I mean, they've had 6 nil nil draws this season in the league, which obviously is, is not great if you're looking to push beyond finishing fourth or, or you know, wherever they, they end up. Um, but I thought this game was very similar to the, to the Fulham game where... I think Newcastle were the better team. And it, had Newcastle won it 1-0, you, you wouldn't have thought anything particularly outrageous had happened. And yet, at the same time, they, they, they could easily have lost it. Uh, and if they had lost those two games 1-0, then, then maybe you'd be, be starting to have doubts. But they're taking four points in the two games, and that's fine. I mean, I think they will finish top four now. I don't think they're ever realistically making a title challenge. They're sort of on the fringes of that race, but... You sort of feel that that's that's sort of slightly slipping away now, but they they should be top four, which is a, in itself a great achievement. If you can hear a train beeping or honking, they beep as much as honk. They trains. It's because I'm broadcasting from the garden, uh, which is I'm not trying to show off here because um, the weather is nice. But it, it it does look spectacularly Australian, which is why I think I was thinking of Carl Kennedy <laughs> earlier. I seen what it there's a koala bear like... just sort of on a <laughs> on a branch. But are those are those. Are those eucalyptus trees? Because if they're not, they should be. I mean, I don't know. No idea. There's a sort of New England feel as well, the clapboard side of the house. It's, um, you know, I feel like I'm, t- I'm speaking to kind of a young Kennedy. You know, not that Kennedy, a different Kennedy. The two famous Kennedy dynasties. Who was more important for the world? It's yeah, very hard to tell. In, in Max Rushton. <laughs> Leeds nil, Brentford nil, Barney. Any? I mean, did you love this? Or you love all football, of course. So yeah, I as someone who loves, I did. I did enjoy. Um, I mean, I always like enjoy watching Leeds because they're very energetic. Um, and Jesse Marsh, you know, I'm obsessed with Jesse Marsh. I just like watching him walk on the pitch at the end in a coat, looking kind of noble and urgent, and like there's some 
vital point he has to make, which will make everyone feel great. Um, I, I also enjoyed the match of the day segment again on this, where I felt like I was watching um, like Martin Keown's YouTube um, channel, where he he, he talks the truth, <laughs> anti-fake news. He was talking about, he used the word, I wrote them down, delusional, propaganda, baloney, and codswallop, which are interesting words. Baloney, obviously, that's a kind of Americanism um, from the sort of 50s, which presumably that was deliberate to, to as a nod towards Marsh. And codswallop, you know, that's some kind of old English, isn't it? It's uh, uh, something old Norse, possibly. <laughs> Um, but he he brought all these words together, and I felt like he was going. He was going to be take. I'm going to be taken off air any second. But I'm telling you the truth, and he should. I mean, you know, if he ever gets desperate, he could maybe maybe look into that kind of thing. You know, contributions um, or a GB News kind of role. He could be one of those presenters because I felt that he had ripped the mask from my eyes on Jesse Marsh in that moment. And that I finally saw through the what what, the had, what had Jesse Marsh said to turn Martin Keown into Mike Graham? Well, he talks about we're learning, you know, we're on a journey, and you know, Jesse Marsh things, you know, it's all. I see a lot of progress. We're going to become a good team. We're not a good team now, but we're going to become a good team. And there was a lot of spin and stuff that Jesse Marsh is very good at. Like if he had a seven-stage motivational series of CDs that I could buy and listen to in the car on the way to meetings. I would buy them and listen to them all the time. Wow. Do you have a Do you have a seven CD changer in your car? Buddy? No, but I would get one, and it would probably be a Mondeo, um, and I'd sit on the hard, ah, on the hard shoulder, weep, weeping as I listened to Jesse Marsh telling me to feel better about myself. <laughs> but I just felt I felt that Keown brutally he ripped it away, you know, and I thought, wow, I could fo- this is a man I could follow. I could follow him. Whatever he said, I would follow it. And you don't often get that from a very brief uh, punditry stint. Joe says, uh, how have Tottenham ruined their fans' weekend by not even playing? Um, uh, Simon says, are the current goings-on at Spurs attributable to a witch's curse? Look, uh, it is Fulham Spurs tonight. We'll have more time on Wednesday's pod to talk about them in detail, uh, by which time who knows what will have happened. Uh, Nicky is also on Wednesday, so we'll cover the Juve story, the 15-point penalty for false accounting and the, the bans for... Uh, Agnelli and Paratici, etc., 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 on Wednesday. Robin, um, you managed to see seven minutes of uh, Chelsea Liverpool in the WSL. How was it? Uh, yeah, I th- it was a shame because I really thought that was one of my best, one of the best commentaries. You know, I think uh, maybe, <laughs> maybe I'm better in bite-sized bunch <laughs> chunks now. Um, it, it was complete farce. We got there and. Everyone was saying it's dangerous. They shouldn't be playing this. They had a big tent with canisters pumping hot air onto the pitch, which was fine. But then as soon as they take this massive tent off, it froze over. It shouldn't have Should started. have kept the tent on, shouldn't they? Kept the tent yeah, on. just play under the tent. Uh, it wouldn't be a bit difficult for us, but, you know, uh, it, it was just, it was mad. And then started and they were just slipping all over the place. Erin Cuthbert went in for a slide tackle and you can see she had a sort of like a carpet burn on her thigh and it just had to stop. But it was just, if they just called it off, no one would have complained, everyone would have understood. But in, in the end, because we had to play a little bit, it just, everyone looks a bit silly. And do you think Do you think that it was the pressure because it was a BBC, it was a BBC One game? It was like a, or you know, it was uh, a yeah, live BBC game. Two, no, I, do you know what, and I, People might accuse me of being a company man here, but I spoke actually yesterday to the head of T1 
TV football. And he said, in these circumstances, they really don't put any, they don't say anything because they will be liable. They don't want to put any pressure on. It would have been fine if they'd, actually, it's, it's worse because it's stopped and they have to suddenly find something you know, if they had oh, what time, did you they put called, on? It, called it off they at 9.30, pop a spring watch or a home's under the hammer on, they've got that queued up. But the fact that they had to kind of scramble, they had two hours to fill, it's much worse. So actually, no, it's not to do with that. So Martin Keown saying we should all rip up our licence fee and uh, I'm with him. <laughs> no. after, That's after buying the that. hand that feeds yes. him if he yes. said yes. that. <laughs> yes. That is true. No, but if he said it, it would seem right and people would do it. <laughs> Tim says, which of Shrewsbury's five goals against Cambridge yesterday was the best in your opinion? I don't need questions like this, Tim. Outrageous. We're in a spot of bother at the moment. Aaron says, can Jonathan Wilson analyse the tease weird derby and his thoughts on both teams' chances for promotion playoff places? I mean, it's almost impossible to say who's going to get in the playoffs in the championship. It's, you know, I, I fundamentally, I, I don't want Sunderland to get in them because they, they're too young and they'd be destroyed in the Premier League. And there's, I think there's something potentially quite beautiful going under Tony Mowbray and it'd be a shame to have it destroyed by that. What's growing under him? Is it like a truffle or a fungus? <laughs> it, well, it's... <laughs> the documentary I would watch is old Italian men searching for truffles underneath Tony Mowbray. Del Piero's done something with truffle hunting, hasn't he? What, what, what's that? Uh, he has a business, I think. Um... But I think he's been on an ad... He's been on an advert. Is advertising Giveface new kit or something? Yeah, it was a kit launch, according to producer Joel. Yeah. So you wouldn't want a kit. I I find truffle always makes me gag. I would. I couldn't uh, wear a kit. It's it massively over truffle. overdone, isn't it? It really is. I, it's overhyped. Yeah. I, I think I've told you this story on, on my fortieth birthday. I overdosed some truffle, and I can't. I can't touch it anymore. Like like Obelix and the magic <laughs> potion. <laughs> how much? How much truffle did you have? Um, it was the sixth course of a seven course tasting menu. It was like a truffle cheese with meringue. And I just have to keep on ordering more and more meringue to cut through the truffle. And honestly, right. the smell of truffle now is enough to make me feel <laughs> nauseous. What a decadent, the what a decadent moment in a restaurant. People don't talk about this enough, do they? People don't talk about the problems people <laughs> the problems people have with meringue and truffle. People just overlook it and think it's it's nothing. You know, that's not something we should be concerned about. But it is. You know, and we're looking at what can happen. What, what was the come down like of the, after ODing on truffle? I mean, did you go cold turkey or did you like is there, a, is there a sort of medicinal, is there a morphine version I mean, of truffle? Just, was just, just eat, eat, some button, eat some button mushrooms <laughs> just to, to calm it down? I was in this betting shop in, in Edinburgh and um, I'd thrown my last truffles down the toilet and I thought... <laughs> <laughs> James says, is Barry's continuing absence due to him having gone too big for this pod after his solo hit last week? Is there tension in the dressing room? And has his head been turned? Are you expecting approaches for him from other pods before the end of the window? Um, no, he's back on Wednesday. But uh, uh, yeah, lots of people have enjoyed the pod that he was on. So I, I never said anything about the tease weird derby. We're the tease derby. There. Do you want me to say something? <laughs> yeah, go on. Well, look, I, I, I think I think the Sunderland were, were much a better side in the first half. Missed a load of chances. They got a bit lucky with the penalty. I think it was probably just outside the box. When, when Ross Stewart was brought down by Dale Fry, I thought the red card was absolutely right. Uh, they scored the rebound from the penalty. Then we're really good for about 10 minutes. Middlesbrough came back into it. Sunderland got nervous. And then Ahmed Jallo, who is a magnificent footballer, he's so much better than Sunderland, scores a really, really good second uh, to, to, to wrap it up. Both teams are pretty good. Uh, I suspect neither is quite good enough to, to, to get into the Premier League. Well, someone's got to get that, that those last two spots in the top six, and there's lots of teams. Sunderland must travel to Millwall shortly 
which will be a daunting trip and, and probably a, sh- a short walk for you if you will you watch it in the same room the two of you in your house now you live together or will you we followed the Sunderland Millwall game from the same room in Doha as Sunderland romped to a 3-0 victory having been outplayed in the first half and did did uh, Barney beat the shit out of you after? <laughs> it, it kicked off big time <laughs> That'll do for today, won't it? Um, uh, Thank you, Robin. Thanks, Max. Thank you, the all-new Barney. Oh, goodbye, everyone. Thank you very much. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Wilson. Cheers, thank you. Uh, We'll be back on Wednesday. Football Weekly was produced by Joel Grobe. Our executive producer is Danielle Stevens. This is The Guardian.